The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. Find out more about the network and other amazing Alberta-made podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I'm Dave Cornway. And I'm Ryan Hassman. And you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're recording this episode on Sunday, April 7th. 2019, and we are excited to welcome back to the show our producer Adam Rosenhart. Welcome back to the pod, Adam. Thanks, fellas. We we uh, we heard rumor that uh, that you got hitched while you were gone. I took my lovely lady to Victoria and made an honest woman of her. Uh, we went uh, after ten years. We've been together ten years, and we decided let's tie the knot finally. Well, that's that's very exciting. Congratulations Thank to you. Uh, to you and Rachel. That's awesome. The uh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, how was Victoria? Victoria was beautiful as always. Uh, I was. It was funny. I was actually in a pub. Uh, Rachel and I had sat down to do a little bit of work while we were on vacation, and I heard some some old guys sitting at the bar talking about the the uh, Victoria Times communist and what a terrible publication it was. So sounds like smart people. The spirit of Alberta <laughs> exists in British Columbia. It turns out good to know. Yeah, well, there's a lot of Albertans on the island. A lot, maybe not right in Victoria, but along. Like up, up to, to Horseshoe Bay and Parksville yeah. and... Yeah. We're everywhere. I will say this, guys. I listened to the last two episodes and you you all did a great job. Chris did a fantastic job. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah, huge thanks to Chris Chang and Phillips for uh, for joining us on the past two episodes uh, yeah. as our guest producer and really guest co-host because he uh, he really contributed some great uh, some great stuff. So thanks so much, Chris. We, uh, we'll have to have you back on again sometime soon. Yeah, we'll have to gift him, get him a gift of some kind, like, I don't know, an NDP government government or something. We'll, uh, we'll see if we can work on that. Ryan, can that you work on that? That sounds expensive. <laughs> <laughs> like about $100 billion, we're, I think. We're very generous here. Yeah, as long as it's other people's money. We are eight days away from Alberta's next provincial election, and we have a lot to talk about. So, guys, let's just jump right in. So Ryan, did you listen to? Uh, did you happen to listen to Charles Adler this week? Um, I did, and it was quite a roller coaster for those of us who are uh, supporters of the UCP and for those who are actively involved in the campaign. Um, I would like to talk about conclusions, but I'll let you guys go through the rough patch, the stormy patch first. So. Yes. What did you think of those? So he spoke, Adler first interviewed Ryan Jasperson, yep. which I think happened on like, was it Monday? I think it was Monday. And then on talking about Jason Kenney. Yep. And yep. then Jason Kenney came on the show the next evening. Yeah. And they were and talking about Jason Kenney and they were talking about Mark Smith. Who's which we the, touched on last week. The Mark did, Smith. Okay. Yeah. Mark Smith. Yeah. He's the, the UCP candidate for Drayton Valley Devon. He's the MLA. He was elected as a Wild Rose MLA in 2015. Um, and yeah, so Ryan Jesperson was on Charles Adler. Ryan uh, was on fire. He 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 laid into Jason Kenny and the UCP like only Ryan Jesperson can. Um, we'll put a link up on on the on the uh, <clears throat> on the website uh, for anybody who hasn't had a chance to listen to it. Uh, but really went really took Jason Kenny to task over this over the Mark Smith. Uh, comments about linking homo link, link linking um, same same sex love with pedophilia and all sorts of other disgusting stuff. Um, talking about Jason Kenny's you know his long history of social conservative advocacy going all the way back to San Francisco, which we I think we talked about during the first week of the election in, in the podcast uh, and the uh, the stuff that Jason Kenny did down there in the 1980s. 
Um, and then Charles Adler had Jason Kenny on to basically respond, basically respond to what Ryan Jesperson said, but also um, Adler himself really took Kenny to task. And I think it was, I mean, Adler, who's, you know, his conservative credentials really can't be questioned. He's a, you know, nationally syndicated conservative top radio talk show host, longtime conservative, says, you know, says that he's known Jason Kenny for a long time, called him a friend. Uh, but he really took him to task on this, uh, on these issues and the bozo eruptions that are happening in, in the UCP and have basically dominated the campaign or the first three weeks of the campaign. Um, it's really worth listening to if you haven't listened to it yet. Um Adler was tough on Kenny, but he was also respectful. I thought it was, you know, he was wasn't letting him uh, uh, get away from the issue. I don't think Kenny really sufficiently answered or satisfactorily answered any of Adler's questions. I think he dodged the uh, the questions around Kenny's activities in in uh, in San Francisco uh, with um, work, you know, with his work at the hospice and and anti same sex marriage advocacy and blocking same-sex partners from visiting their dying partners um, at the hospice in San Francisco. Uh, Kenny didn't, never in in any point in in the interview did Kenny ever really apologize at all for what he did, and Adler was giving him an opportunity to. Um, He didn't really satisfactorily answer the questions about Mark Smith and about the bozo eruptions um, and about why Kenny's still allowing that in, in the UCP. Uh, I think it was it was a very rough interview. It was probably the roughest interview I've ever seen Kenny go through, um, which was shocking to me because Kenny is a professional politician and he must have known what was coming in this interview. Like there's, you know, they'd, they'd heard the... He'd, I, he, he should have heard the Ryan Jesperson interview before. Uh, and then uh, it, it didn't seem like he was really well prepared. He was just sticking to his talking points. So the part of me that is a political strategist and have friends in the trenches campaigning is loathe to talk about what I'm about to say. So I am flirting with bad karma, and I want to point out my official prediction is 47 seats for the UCP. Um, but my thesis on all of this, because we are the podcast of the horse race and of the politics, and we've talked about Mark Smith on, I think, every episode so far, I think this is now baked in. We have seen very little movement in the polls. Now, I was very concerned about a week ago. I was texting you guys saying the sky is falling. And, um, but when I look at... So I just pulled up the poll tracker from 2015. And I highlighted where we are the last five days out. So when the CBC poll tracker quit tracking last year... This is the 2015 election. Yeah, sorry, okay. last time. April 30th, the NDP had a clear lead. And that lead was pretty consistent throughout. In my head, I actually felt like it happened really late. But when I look at the poll tracker here, like at least a week out, they had a clear lead. So I believe that um, there's a few things I want to talk about with this. But I believe that this dissatisfaction with um, these issues is now pretty stuck and baked into the polling. I guess what I'm saying is that having come out of the Adler interview and the debate and, you know, basically three weeks of these types of stories. And yet the poll lead, which again, the strategist in me tells me don't ever talk about because it's really, really bad karma. But as a podcaster, I feel like I have to. We really haven't seen a lot of change. There hasn't been a lot of polling. 
I'm the first to know that polling is only as good as the paper it's written on. All those sort of caveats. But where we started this election on writ drop day was that the UCP had a huge lead in rural. They were losing in Edmonton, and they were probably going to win two-thirds to one-third in Calgary. And that's where we still sit now. So one of the things I wanted, you know, you asked us in our questions, Dave, will it make a difference? I'm suggesting it's not, which means this election must be about other things. I was just listening to the press gallery episode from Friday on my way over here, and someone on there made the same point, that if the economy was better, then the voters might be looking at what I'll call secondary issues. I don't mean to imply that, you know, any particular issue is secondary, but the economy is still the number one concern. And I feel like the voters are telling us that they... They, are, they may share some concern with some of the stuff, just like they share some concern with, you know, the party. And even I would say, basically, they like Rachel Notley. I don't think anyone's really disputing. You know, Mr. Kenny even kept referring to her as premier. Like, she has never been criticized in this campaign because people like her, but her party is still lagging. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying, I think, unless it's unless something new comes out, and boy, am I ever calling on karma here so please you're don't te- you're tempting the fate of yeah, something ryan i really am if i wasn't a podcaster i would not be saying this into a microphone but i feel like to move the numbers now it's going to take a very very big story um because all of the things that you're that you went through are known it's known information so if you look at cbc poll tracker this time it is showing and we can share this on you know the links to it but it's showing that it's tightening, actually, between the two parties. Mm-hmm. The big trend lines of UCP and NDP are merging together in the shape of an arrow. But what's interesting to me is the seat projection is remaining pretty static. Mm-hmm. And the probability of UCP victory is a straight line. And I think that says a lot about NDP distribution. Mm-hmm. So here in this riding, or in Edmonton Strathcona... Or Edmonton Highlands Norwood. Sorry, we're in Edmonton Highlands Norwood. Or in Edmonton, Strathcona, or in Beverly Clairview, people are really, really not Jason Kenney supporters. But there's an efficiency factor here that really hurts the NDP. The other thing is on the seat projections, it shows the rural advantage um, that the UCP has is pretty significant mm-hmm. because that's mm-hmm. probably 35 to 38 seats. Yeah, it's, it's a huge amount of seats. Yeah, yeah. we've talked about this a bit before on the podcast is, is when, you know, you when you look at the the polling numbers you look at the province-wide numbers and you know what we've seen is the, the latest poll that came out and i don't want to talk too much about polling or focus too much on polling but the latest polls has the ucp at for from leger that came out uh just before the debate uh had the ucp at 47 percent, the ndp at 38 yeah. percent, the alberta party at nine the liberals at four i'm not even sure if the freedom conservative party was included um uh but Looking at that, that doesn't really tell the full picture. You really have to look at the regional breakdown. And what's interesting is the Calgary number was one percentage moved on each side. So yeah. two points narrower. Yeah. But because you can only win a seat once, whether you win it by 100 votes or by 10,000 votes, it's a win is a win. Yeah, exactly. That, that distribution in Calgary means UCP will get two-thirds of the seats. What I will say, though, is we're in a new, era, a new permanent era. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the days of the... Um, massive supermajority. So I looked at the, on my way over here, I was looking at the 08 results and the PCs got like 57% and the liberals were second place with like 26, 26 or something. Yeah. I don't think we'll ever go back to those days. Like, I think we are now a much more competitive polity 
which I think is good because I believe in competition. And I think that being afraid of losing really sharpens your focus. So I'm not proposing we'll ever go back to those days of super majorities. I think we're now in a new world where the NDP will probably hover around 40%. Yeah. Well, it's what's really, I mean, what's really interesting to me. And I mean, obviously we'll have to see what the results are and actually are on election day, but looking at the polling numbers for the most part, not a lot has changed. No. Uh, the NDP are still sitting around 40% or just below 40%, which is where they were in the last election. And the UCP is, you know, give or take a couple percentage points, basically where the combined vote of the progressive conservatives and the Wild Rose vote yeah. were. So, you know, I mean, the if the UCP wins the election... <clears throat> On uh, on April sixteenth, it's going to be the nar- the narrative. The, the media coverage is probably going to be you know landslide, massive change in Alberta. Yeah. But when you actually look at the voting patterns, it might not actually be much of a change. It's just that one party has yep. taken the conservative vote, and the NDP vote is essentially yep. could could essentially be the same. Yep. I mean, the, you know, the the ironic thing about the this election is that the NDP could actually do better than they did in twenty fifteen and yep. still lose the election. Yep. So so I mean, Alberta politics has changed since 2015 obviously uh but in terms of these voting the you know voting patterns and of course yeah. we'll see what happens on election day yeah. uh it might not actually be a, a, a hu- as huge a change as as we might think when i was looking just one quick thing to wrap this up on my end when i was looking at the 2015 results on may the 2nd the cbc vote page actually ran a really interesting story and the headline was albertans are predicting a pc majority despite the polls giving an edge to the ndp and I remember thinking that too. I didn't believe it. I actually remember DMing someone in the PC war room on election night saying like, this isn't really happening. And he's like, yeah, it's happening. You know, voters really didn't think, I, th- I believe, that the NDP was going to win. And so that's another thing that will never be the same again. Mm-hmm. And on my side, that's what sharpened our <laughs> resolve to unify was realizing that, like you said, Dave, if you had the exact same voter intention, and I know that when you merge parties, one plus one doesn't equal two, but mm-hmm. one plus one equals like 1.75. Mm-hmm. And so if you put the same distribution of people's support as last time into this time, it's a totally different result. Yeah. And um, I think there will be a reconcile reconciliation on the left after this. We're going to get to the debate in a moment, but I felt like the debate was a perfect example of that because Mr. Mandel was basically there as like a cartoon character just to like have fun and throw jabs. He knows he's not winning. There's no chance the Alberta party is winning. The Liberal Party guy, David Kahn, was putting out some pretty good policy. But I just think, and I've been saying this since we've had a podcast, the existence of those two parties is so absurd because they basically (laughs) overlap completely. There are some personality issues. But that debate showed that like there's no need for those two parties to both be entities on the spectrum. They're the same thing. And um, like we all enjoyed Mr. Mandel's sort of comedy and his zinger about have you been smoking something you shouldn't be? But I don't know what the Alberta party did in that debate or in this election other than muddy up the water. And so um, I think there'll be a change of the structure on the on the left, center left for sure. But the NDP is here to stay, folks, and we will never again have a... Well, it'll be a long time before there's a four-seat or two-seat NDP caucus, and I think that's a good thing. Bring it mm-hmm. on. I like competition. Mm-hmm. Go- going back to the uh, the will-it-make-a-difference question on the on the UCP Bozo options, on Mark Smith, on Jason Kenney's history as a social conservative advocate, I think it will make a difference in this campaign, and I, I, I mean, I don't necessarily think it will... 
I think it will make a difference in terms of I think that it has allowed this issue and the divisiveness of these issues have allowed the NDP and the UCP to kind of solidify their bases on these issues. Mm. Um, I think that going into the last week of the election campaign, um, I'm not sure how much more traction unless there's something massive that comes out again. I don't know what else could come out. What other horror, like anything that I don't know, I don't know what, what could be more horrible than the stuff that has already come out that would shift votes in this election. Um, so I think the NDP have, I mean, I think we'll, we'll, they'll continue to focus on social on these social issues because I think it does, uh, it does drive up their support. I think there there are a lot of people uh, who will be thinking twice uh, about their about their votes. Um, but I would I, what I'm what I'm going to be interesting to see is in terms of moving moving what Rachel Notley needs to move. Um, to potentially win this election or, or drive it home in the last week, uh, I, th- I suspect we're going to see a focus on jobs, on the economy, on pipelines. I think that Rachel Notley has probably got all the traction she can uh, out of the social issues argument. Um, so I think we're probably going to see a lot of focus on that from from the NDP to, to try to drive home in the last week. And I, and I say that, interestingly, not looking at the UCP numbers and not really expecting the UCP numbers to budge, but looking at the Alberta party and looking at the Liberal party. Uh, and I think that for the NDP, those are those are the votes that the NDP needs that Rachel Notley needs to focus on in the last week is those that, those nine percent of Albertans yep. who, who, who tend to be polled who say tend to say they're going to support the Alberta Party or the four percent who support the Liberal Party. Um, for the NDP, it's really going. I think it's really going after those voters and saying you're conservative, you don't like Jason Kenney, you don't like the Wild Rose Party elements of the UCP. Voting for the Alberta Party is throwing out is is wasting your vote. Voting right. for the Liberal Party is wasting your vote. Vote for, you support Rachel Notley, and we can try to stop the stop. And we tend the, to see that in yeah. Canadian elections. Although yeah. usually it's the Liberals doing it to the NDP. Yeah, at the federal level. But so I think I think I think we could see a focus on that. That'd be my prediction for the last week because that that's what I would do if but I were Rachel Notley. The thing is, where do those people live? You know, I agree with you. That's her. <laughs> she has to vacuum up all that support. But where do Alberta Party members and Liberal Party supporters live? In the ridings in Edmonton mm-hmm. and are, Calgary, that are pro- yeah okay, so yeah. Calgary maybe yeah, and I think it'll, I think I mean Edmonton, the 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 NDP are leading at Edmonton. The NDP are probably going to win most of the seats in Edmonton. It could that kind of look that kind of vote shift could make a difference in the suburb some of the suburban. But it's ridings. not going to move a rural seats. No, it's not probably not going to move a rural seat, but it could move seats in Calgary. Okay, transitioning to the debate coverage. Now I'm going to say everyone who listens to this is about to roll their eyes because I'm going to be critical of Rachel Notley, but I'm I'm actually not being just like playing to type with what I'm about to say. I actually did expect more from her in the debate. We said it on the pod a few times that this was going to be a moment. And maybe we've all just built up 2015's debate in our minds so much. But she um, didn't even tell the story that she has to tell. She, I think this was a microcosm of this entire last year. Clearly, Jason Kenney is such a presence in her mind that she you know, was so focused on him that she didn't lay out the case of either her own government very well or the next four years. Like, and I know this is cliche, and of course I'm going to criticize the other leader, but I really did expect her to have a better command of her discussion points. She kept reading her notes. And like, look, I would read notes too, but Rachel Notley is a top-tier political talent. She kept referring to her notes. She was unsure of what to say, and she didn't spend really any time talking about her record or the next four years. Mm-hmm. Someone said on Twitter, it was like 
Jason Kenny's talking about what a UCP government will do. Rachel Notley's talking about what a UCP government will do. I think it was Jason Markusoff who said that. Yeah. yeah. And I really feel that way. Like, I expect... No, it's not like she did terribly. Nobody did terribly. But mm-hmm. th- she did not peel many votes off of Jason. And in defense of what Jason Kenny did is he didn't lose support. A yep. lot of Albertans expected him to be like some sort of cartoon character with the long mustache, like curling it because he's doing evil conniving plans. And he didn't come across that way. I get that if you don't like Jason Kenny before the debate, you still don't like him now. But he looked reasonable. He looked prepared. He held, especially compared to the Adler interview the day before, he wasn't combative. He was calm. So basically what we said on Twitter that night is that nothing happened. The front runner didn't take too many hits. And the trailing person, who really seems like she's campaigning for a role of opposition leader, um, she didn't overcome him. And, you know, you didn't have a Brian Jean-type terrible performance. And you didn't have a stumble like Mr. Prentice. So there was no key moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know people think Mandel and Stephen Kahn did super well. Dave, David Kahn. I'm sorry. David Kahn. I said Stephen because the one in, the, I know <laughs> yeah, for former 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 out. progressive yeah. conservative MLA Stephen Kahn who was campaigning last week or this week the with uh, with Steve Mandel. Yeah, I, I'm not saying they did badly, and in fact they got some laugh lines. And actually, David Kahn was pretty aggressive and pretty forthright. Mm-hmm. But I I said on Twitter at the time too. I'm surprised at how vindictive they are towards each other. I know, I know. It was kind of this mini micro. Yeah. This, like you had the big show, which was Rachel Notley and Jason Kenny, and then you had this kind of, yeah. kind of weird side show between Stephen Mandel and David Kahn. Yeah. Uh, going on, uh, which was, you know, fighting over six percent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, what did you guys think of the debate? I thought. Well, I mean, the whole de- the debate itself was. I think I wrote it was horribly boring. Um, I thought it was quite bad to watch. Um, I don't think. I like it's like it's similar to what you said. I don't think anybody lost the debate. I think they all did okay, um, but I don't think any votes changed. I think Rachel Notley has been doing very well in this campaign. I think she's she's cl- you know clearly the NDP's strongest asset. I think she's really uh, um, been a strong presence. She's articulated uh, on the campaign trail, articulated her vision as as Premier of Alberta. Um, she's you know reiterated a lot of the strong points and strong values that a lot of Albertans um, agree with her on and, and a lot that has led a lot of Albertans to really respect her even if even if they're conservatives uh, but I don't think that she really distinguished herself during yeah. this debate I think what what I was looking for was what what I was looking for was uh, some kind of articulation of what her plans were for the next four years a positive, a bit of a yeah. positive vision because the, the campaign we've had the, you know all the parties have been focusing have been had such a negative focus yep. uh, and I was looking for her to talk about the twenty five dollar a day childcare program yeah did she even which, mention it I don't even I don't even think it was mentioned which signature. was phenomenal because I think it's a I mean it, yeah, yeah it's a signature program signature part of their platform yeah. I think it's it's inc- it'd be, it's going to be incredibly popular with a lot of Albertans but I'm shocked she didn't bring it up yeah yeah I thought that would have been something that that would have you know appealing to young families appealing to you know people and who, it differentiates absolutely and it's not just Jason <clears throat> Kenny is scary okay yeah. like that message has now been. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. So I think well, that... Claire Clancy made the same point in their podcast. She's okay. been covering Rachel Notley. Yeah. She said, Rachel Notley has been great. She's yeah. been great in press conferences, great in speeches at rallies, high yeah. energy. 
But she got to that debate, and I actually asked someone I was sitting with if they think maybe she's ill because her voice was kind of raspy at the beginning. So maybe okay. she's just maybe flat out just, tired. And yeah, it's a long. I mean, we all have bad performance days. And yeah. It wasn't terrible. No, it wasn't. It just she left money on the well, table. We were spoiled. I mean, in a way, we were spoiled from 2015. Is yeah, 2015 was such like a milestone turning point moment, or it felt like a turning point moment. And in the, the weight of campaign. expectations, maybe. Yeah. Then she had nothing to lose. It's yeah. kind of like David Kahn. Yeah. Um, nothing to lose. He might as well just let her rip and see what happens. And she's very smart. She thought on her feet. Yeah. That moment was unrehearsed. And this time, she felt the weight of a government on her. A weight of a whole, you know, narrative that she can't turn and yeah. I mean, that said, I don't think I don't think her performance hurt her, but it definitely didn't didn't let, allow her to break from the UCP. And and I mean, there's no real moment. I don't get the impression there's any real momentum for any of the parties after she, this debate. She so, didn't do what she needed to do. No, no. So it's kind of I feel like it's it's yeah becomes kind of insignificant in a way. So this week now, essentially the platforms are out. The policies are known. So this week, in my experience, is mostly about momentum. So watch for the leaders to all demonstrate that their teams are working hard, that the voters are with them. Um, they'll emphasize polls if they're good, or they'll de-emphasize ones that are bad. So watch for momentum to be the message as we approach this next week. Because by next weekend, essentially, it's too late. So I don't expect to hear a lot more substantive policy. If the NDP is sitting on any more time bombs this is the time to do it because if, if we're talking about this next week saying that nothing came out then it's too late yeah. so yeah uh, yeah yeah i think in, in looking into the final week of the campaign it's always interesting we talked about in the first pod we did during when the election um, was called we talked about where the party leaders start the election is notable and where the party leaders end the election where they spend the last weekend of the campaign the last days of the campaign is also notable and tells tells a story about yep. where they see where they either see an opportunity to gain or where they see they need to be on the defensive yep. and uh, and really uh and 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 shore up support and i go back to the 2012 election where i think allison redford spent the last day of the campaign in wainwright which you know, was which was you know Interesting. Should have been a should have been a progressive conservative stronghold. And well, it's and interesting you bring that up because that day we I was on the Wild Rose tour. We didn't do much at all. I think we did one or two small events, and yeah. we basically just sat on the lead. Like in a in a hockey analogy, when you have the lead and you you pull back the aggression and you just try to stop the other team from scoring. And Redford did a ton mm -hmm. of events those last mm -hmm. couple of days, like whistle stop. Yeah, she went to places like Wainwright. Yeah, and we know how that worked out. So. As much as I joke about how once you're in a lead, you should just like stop campaigning and just like go home and hope nothing else happens. You can't actually do that. The best defense is good offense. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting point. I think, too, that this is the week where we'll find out. I think they're going to be in Calgary. Both leaders are yeah. going to spend the whole time in Calgary because it's Edmonton-ish has basically crystallized. Yeah. Rural has basically crystallized. Calgary will be the big battleground. If 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 the NDP is going to govern, it has to go through Calgary. Yeah. And if the UCP can stop them, then it's game over, no matter what happens in Edmonton. So Calgary, it is. I hope everyone's ready. Also, I'll point out there is no Flames playoff game on April the sixteenth, which helps the UCP, because I'm going to guess, even just based on the two of you giving me this look right now, that NDP supporters in Calgary. Turnout would be hurt less among them than it would among UCP supporters. So the Flames did their part by not having a playoff game on a Did the Flames game. make it to the playoffs? They did. Okay, but me. the Oilers did not, right? Actually, if you go look at my <laughs> Facebook right now, you'll see, as per my annual tradition, that today my profile picture is the Flames logo because like Charlie Brown in the football, 
I just can never stop trying to win this bet I have with my buddy. So we've been. Oh, doing I saw you said there are two pictures. It was Brett, Brad, Tennant. <laughs> it's the guys that I do this with. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay. So I have won this this bet twice in I think nine years. Um, so when I'm mad at the Oilers, I'm mad at many levels, including a visceral level. But but yeah, the Flames did their part by not having an, a, a playoff game on Election Day, which I think would hurt conservative turnout. The Dave Berta Podcast is also made possible in part thanks to ATB Financial. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about ATB Prosper. Whether you're saving for retirement, a major purchase, your child's education, or a rainy day, ATB Prosper helps you create a personalized investment plan to assist you in reaching your financial goals. It's easy to create, manage, and follow your progress through your customized digital dashboard. You can start investing with as little as $100 and make additional contributions to your portfolio of as little as $25. To find out more about how you can get started for that rainy day or retirement savings, visit atbprosper.com. This episode is brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. The Girl Tries Life podcast is a fellow Alberta Podcast Network member and is all about showing that women are capable of anything when they have the right tools, strategies, and mindset in place. I'm your host, Victoria Smith, a stress reduction coach who is all about helping you reduce your stress so that you can actually enjoy your daily life. Imagine that. In the Girl Tries Life podcast, we alternate between interviews with incredibly inspiring ladies who break down how they got to where they are and coaching episodes that leave you with tangible resources and skills for your own life. Life isn't stressless, but we can help you stress less. So I hope that you'll check out the Girl Tries Life podcast. You can find it at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast. And remember, the most important thing in life is that you try. All right. Well, it's been a while, I guess, since we've uh, opened up the mailbag and we have a whole pile of questions today. So uh, let's get right to it with our first question from Trevor Toome. Uh, So he says, a question for Dave's incredible historical knowledge. Excluding recent debates, say the past two decades, what's the most important, interesting, consequential leaders debate in Alberta political history? And are there any lessons or insights we can glean from those debates today? Why does Trevor think I can't answer? <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as uh, Trevor and I had a bit of a bit of a back and forth on. Uh, thanks first, thanks for the question, uh, Trevor. Uh, we had a bit of a of a of a back and forth on Twitter about this, and and there have basically only been leaders' debates in Alberta for the past two or three decades. So, oh. so we the the first lead- even like not just televised ones, but leaders' debates at okay. all. The first radio the, or anything. The first televised leaders' debate in Alberta in an Alberta election was in 1993. Yeah, and what? previous to that, they had the internet by then, barely, barely. I mean, you couldn't like live stream anything, right? Yeah. Uh, so by the previous elections, there would there the previous to the 1993 election. There had been, as far as I could find, one instance of a leaders' debate, and that was in the 1967 provincial election. There was a in-person. It was. It was. They. I think they'd wanted to put do it on the radio, or wanted to do television, but the leaders couldn't agree, or the parties couldn't agree. So it was a. It was held in a church in downtown Edmonton, and it was Ernest Manning, Peter Lougheed. Mike McCogno, who was the Liberal Party leader and an MLA at the time, up from Lac La Biche, and Neil Reimer, who was the new leader of the New Democrats, and actually, actually was the father of former Ed, the later Edmonton Mayor Jan Reimer. Oh no way! Yeah, um, can I ask if you could take yourself to that moment? Yeah, that'd be so cool. it was in front of it was in front of a like a live odd like it was in a church, so it was 
the pews were filled. So I, it was a packed church. By the and way, the, and the leaders like had a debate. I have to say, I I love the the sort of irony of of the line of the division between church and state, and polling stations are in churches and debates are held in churches. Though that's an I, American concept. I, I know, but like it's still it's still I think something that most people would agree should be a thing. But it's just so funny that our polling, like the polling station Rachel and I will go to, is in a church. Yeah, because well, in church, rural but, communities, churches are also community halls. Yeah, right? yeah. centers of people's lives, and it's where you gather for weddings and you are. Yeah, when, when I grew up in Warrenville, and our community hall was the parish hall. That was basically the only hall in town. I think. Yeah. So. Anyway, sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to take you off. Yeah. No, no. 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 So yeah. So the 1967 was the far, as far as I could find the first time the leaders actually had an in-person debate, and then there was no like after, then Lougheed won in in uh, the Progressive Conservatives won in 1971, and there were no leaders debates going all the way to until Ralph Klein versus Lawrence DeCour versus Ray Martin in 93. And I think they actually had two televised debates in 93, and it was the first time. So, so Getty election, the time when he wins a majority and loses his own seat. Well, there and was that, no TV debate. There was no TV debate. But interestingly, and I think this is probably one of the, one of the more consequential debates that a leader missed, uh, in 1989, Don Getty, Premier Don Getty, was running for re-election in Edmonton Whitemud and was running against popular city councillor Percy Wickman, who was running for the Liberals. Don Getty didn't show up to the local debate. So Percy Wickman had someone dress up in a giant chicken costume. And then <laughs> really? he debated he debated the chicken. So West Wing and, was copying from Alberta politics. Well, I'm sure that wasn't I'm sure it had happened before. It wasn't like I don't think it was I think it was new for Alberta, but I'm not sure it was a new yeah. concept. But so then there were photos in all the newspapers of Percy Wickman debating this chicken, I think that had like a Don Getty button on it or something and then wow and getty lost his seat yeah so the progressive conservatives won re-election but getty lost in edmonton white mud yeah. uh, which is just if you think about that today leaders are usually in safe seats yeah so. well i mean i think it probably was a safe seat but it just showed how yeah. in previous elections i think it had been a safe seat for the pcs getty had represented it and this had had been um the mla for that area and i think it was called strathcona west or Strathcona East, and then it was Edmonton White Mud. Uh, but then he came back and became premier and, and, and won in that seat. So in the past, it had been a safe seat, but he was running against a popular local challenger, and he didn't bother showing up. So it, you know, it had it had an impact. And yeah. and even the, so, he, he later won in, in a by election was held in Stetler, and he was the MLA yeah. for Stetler. But like, that's pretty consequential. You know what gets me about your 1993 as the first time Alberta had a TV debate is. One of the most iconic debate moments in Canadian politics happened in the 1984 election. Yeah, Brian Mulroney stands up to John Prime Minister Turner. Turner. He said, "You had a chance. You, no, you had a choice, sir. You could have done what's right for Canada, or something like it that." It was. But it was about the the, the patronage. patronage appointments that, that Pierre Trudeau yeah. had made, like in like the last week. He'd appointed a, like a bunch of people to the guys. Senate and appointed, appointed yeah. a bunch of people to board positions. And it was one of those knockout classic. Yeah. probably the best example of it. Because mm. yeah. more than math is diff- math is. Hard. I think so. Because yeah. Turner said, "I had no choice." Well, the Liberals just got decimated in that and election. Mulroney just cleaned his clock. Yeah, yeah. And so it's funny that that was nine years before Alberta yeah. finally got around. Like, how many elections did we not do it even after that? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, well, it would have been two elections. There are two whole election cycles that there was no leaders' debate. Welcome. Before then. So, so the, the Global Mail was right in 2015. Welcome to the, what is it? Welcome to the modern age or something or like Alberta that. Alberta steps into, steps into uh, the future. Into the future or <laughs> steps into the present or whatever. Or, like yeah. Uh, but I mean, it goes to show, I mean, we talk about 19, you know, talk about 2015 election or 2015 leaders' debate in Alberta, the tw- 1984 debate in uh, the federal 1984 debate. Those are kind of the iconic, yeah, like you said, knockout poach punch moments. The vast majority of these debates don't include that and are totally forgettable. Um, the, going back a bit to the um, 
a bit to the uh, the leaders debate before we move on to the next question. Uh, one of the things that I thought Mendel, Steve Mendel, had an opportunity to do last week during Alberta's leader debate, leaders debate in this election was different, try to different, really differentiate himself from the top two candidates. And 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 I I mentioned this on the blog. He had a he need, he needed a uh, like a Gordon Wilson moment, and that's a reference to the 1991 British Columbia election and the leaders' debate there, where the BC Liberal leader Gordon Wilson had a, a you know this iconic moment where the leader of the NDP Mike Harcourt and the leader of the Social Credit Party Rita Johnson were arg- bickering, kind of arguing back and forth, and he had this kind of opening moment where he said, you know, this is why we can't get anything done in BC, yeah. and, and then the Liberals ended up winning 17 seats coming out of nowhere so I, I felt like mandel had like a couple openings to do that and he kind of like stumbled his way into trying to say something like that but then he included david Kahn to say like david Kahn couldn't like uh you know he he, he was also part of the problem and it was like what <laughs> like david Kahn isn't an mla and and this is like the first time most albertans have you know heard of him so anyway uh so yeah i, I i'm not sure there have been really many historical uh, leaders debates worth noting in Alberta. All right. Our next question comes from Brooks Merritt and Brooks asks, what do each of the leaders do if their party loses the election? So let's imagine, let's go through every party. So let's start with the NDP. What do the leaders do? What does Rachel Notley do if the NDP uh, does not win a majority? I, I don't, I'm not, I mean, it depends how many, for, for the NDP, I think it depends how many seats they win. Mm-hmm. If they form a sizable opposition, um, then I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Rachel Notley stays. Really, I think that it's uh, I think it's without within the realm of possibility that she could stay to fight and I, fight a fight another election. If the NDP do well enough, if they get forty percent or more than forty percent, if they do better than they did in the last election in terms of the popular vote, if they hold on to thirty or thirty-five seats, forty seats, I could see in a situation where you know, Rachel Notley stays on and, and, uh, and takes on Jason Kenney, like no, like no one else could. Um, she is, she is that party. Um, and I think they have a very difficult, uh, difficult time without her. I mean, on the, on the other side, I mean, she could, uh, I know uh, David Klamenhaga jokes around that, uh, that, that Justin Trudeau will appoint her as Canada's ambassador (laughs) to Ireland. Which I think would be a pretty awesome t- role. To Cuba. You, you seemed surprised that, that by Dave's answer, Ryan. What do you think? Yeah, I realized that used to happen sort of in the olden days. In fact, even I think Diefenbaker hung out in the House of Commons for like decades after he wasn't prime minister any longer. But in the kind of current contemporary age, it's just very rare. And I, I have a hard time imagining her wanting to run the opposition. David Staples was sort of commenting that he hopes she would consider running for the federal NDP, which we've talked about before, mm-hmm. too. And for the same reason, I just don't buy it. When you've had the keys to run a major province, I think going, commuting to Ottawa to run the distant third party would be an exercise in frustration. I don't think her friend, Linda Duncan, has particularly enjoyed the role. I think, like, Rachel Notley would certainly be electable federally, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think once you've run a province, I, I actually think she's going to go to U of A and they're going to name something after her. Maybe they'll rename the Lougheed Leadership College, the, the Notley re- Leadership the, College. Yeah. Well, I, thought, I thought in 2015 they should have named, renamed it the Grant Notley Leadership yeah. College. I think she'll do something else. She might stick around for a year mm-hmm. or something if there's like 25, 30 MLAs. Yeah. You know. Yeah. She, she's, she's an incredibly talented 
uh, individual and young. And, what is she? Fifty? Yeah, yeah. Or so, something? so she is, she. I think at this point she can basically do whatever she wants to do. She can yeah. run the broadband. She could become prime minister of Canada if she wanted. Well, to. so you mentioned that on <laughs> Twitter, and it's. It, I mean, it's a fun thought experiment, but. The NDP federally is a mess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's if, a mess. if they could get back to the the sort of spirit of the times when Jack Layton was running the party, I think it would be different. But that depended so much on, on Jack. A perfect storm and on a terrible Liberal Party performance. Mm-hmm. Right? You had Ignatieff, just brutal. Like it was a historic, it was a historically low Liberal performance. I know. I ran in that election. My Liberal didn't even crack three percent. Yeah. So like it was a perfect storm and. I think she is a better politician than Jack Layton. I actually think Jack Layton is overrated and Rachel Notley is underrated. But the federal scene, I have a hard time believing she'd want to run an opposition here of 30. I definitely don't think she'd want to run an opposition of 30 in Ottawa. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, let's think about uh, what happens if the UCP does not uh, win a majority. Um, Ryan, what do you think happens with Jason Kenney if they lose? Does not compute. (laughs) (laughs) let's do the thought experiment thing though it's interesting to think about right does jason kenny stick around to run the opposition in the unlikely event the ucp loses i don't know a lot of the premise of the united conservative party was a bargain to put aside minor differences and to find that vote split factor gets us back to government Mm -hmm. in a so essentially right now it's a brokerage party with two different flavors of conservatism. And so this is why politicians never answer hypotheticals, but podcasters do. <laughs> I think that you would see some real, de, really tough strains on the UCP existence. And I think that thing I talked about, how you're going to see a reconciliation of the Alberta party and the liberals would bleed over to UCP as well. And I think that you would probably find some center right party and some further right party. And so um, luckily for me, because I am a believer in big tents, I said on Twitter today that governing is a big tent exercise, so I think campaigning should be as well. I don't think that's going to come true, but if it does, it will be a wild four years. Right. And so, Dave, in the unlikely event, the UCP does not win a majority. What do you think Jason Kenney does? The, well, the entire... The majority is different. Well, no... If he's not the premier. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, Sorry, not, that's, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. The, the entire premise of of the United Conservative Party and the entire premise of Jason Kenney's role as leader of the UCP is that he can win an informed government. If he does not, if the UCP does not form government, then the entire core argument for the party and his core argument, the core argument for him being leader doesn't exist anymore. Mm. So I think his political career is basically done if he doesn't win. Like this is, I, I, I see this as Jason Kenney. This is part of his step of eventually going back to Ottawa and becoming, trying to become prime minister of Canada. Uh, if he's not able to win in Alberta, then I think his, I think that's the end for, I think that's the end for Jason Kenney. Uh, should we talk about the liberals? Like, well, what happens if David Kahn doesn't win his seat? Well, just, yeah. Like, does, How many times yeah. has he not won his seat already? Well, this is the f- fourth time he's won he's run for provincial office he ran in the calgary west by-election he ran in and he's calgary not buffalo he's not an MLA, in the last right? general election no and he ran it against uh against kenny and calgary the calgary law he'd by election this, this time the fourth time this loss would be different because he's running in a theoretically liberal seat yeah it was D- david swan's represented it since 2004 um i, I don't know i don't know i i think the liberal party itself will i, I I mean, I assume David Kahn, if he does doesn't if he doesn't win a seat, will probably go back to 
his you know probably continue his law career and right you mean because he's a constitutional lawyer like he constitutional was, law lawyer that's right yeah. Law yeah. Lawyer. yeah and he yeah. said it quite a few times yes at the debate. yes he reminded us in quite case, a few times in why the did he keep saying law lawyer isn't that i don't like know redundant? It, it felt like it but i don't know i'm not a constitutional law lawyer so maybe that's appropriate <laughs> did you guys uh, <laughs> see the hats that they're the laying pipe hats <laughs> laying pipe yeah yeah like he actually probably had one of the best lines of the debate that oh, was yeah. hilarious he, he was the only only person on stage who had laid pipe in uh, there was Brooks. definitely a double meaning there he yeah. knew what he was saying. i thought it was great that was i think that was that was that was a highly entertaining and now and they're memorable. selling hats and stuff why not get yeah. your merchandise get your merchandise so he goes back to his law practice let's say what does steven mandel do i mean he's basically retired Re- retire. three times right retire yeah. go back to being a wealthy business person yeah okay. yeah great he, he, mandel would actually be a funny like columnist or have like one of those let me get things off my chest on the 6 p.m news once a week like a five like, minute like rant. Bob Light. <laughs> yeah he's kind of like a ranty old old you know cynic. what here's what i'll do if 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 mandel doesn't win his seat i'm gonna i'm gonna work with him to start his own youtube channel and it's just gonna be, <laughs> be amazing old man yells at cloud <laughs> even if he wins his seat he's yeah. not really state there's no way he wants to be an mla with either himself or maybe three or four yeah. colleagues. Like, yeah. he's got better things to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. yeah we, we should note that, that Ryan and I uh, bumped into Mr. Mandel at uh, CTV Studios in Edmonton last week. Oh, yeah. We were, Ryan and I have been doing the this uh, every Wednesday morning. Mm-hmm. We do an uh, election se- update segment on uh, CTV Morning Live. And uh, it just happened to be that we were on right before Mr. Mandel. I'm pretty sure Wednesday. he had no idea who we were. Yeah, yeah, but he humored us and <laughs> yeah. he, he took a photo with us, which, David, was, which was fun. David, his assistant, and I, we've known each other for a while. Yeah, yeah. But I'm pretty sure he had, which was kind of a significant indication of how important podcasters are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> In the ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. No, but uh, uh, anyway, that was it was it was entertaining. So thanks for the thanks for for humoring us, Mr. Mandel. You were a good sport. And thanks to Brooks for his question. Uh, our next one comes from Claire. What are your, and I'm going to really emphasize this word, what are your quick thoughts on Jeff Calloway asking for a court injunction? Uh, let's start with you, Dave. Okay, so Jeff Calloway is asking for an injunction, injunction from the court to stop the elections commissioner from investigating the, uh, what are we calling this now? Is it, It's a collusion scandal, but it's but the elections commissioner was only investigating, it has to go back to the UCP leadership race. In it's 20, the, kam- the kamikaze. The kamikaze, that's what it was, that's the kamikaze was. campaign. Yeah, but be precise so, here what the injunction, what the court injunction is about. It's not about collusion. No, 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 that's what, that's what I'm saying. Sto- it's, it's stopping the investigation. Yeah. No, but it's about the actual financial. It's about where the money, it's about the yeah. elections commissioner investigating. Nothing to do with Jason Kenney is what I'm well, saying. Well, Politically, this is what you want to we'll, tie it to. We'll, we'll see what the elections commissioner finds if he's able to find anything. What, what, who gets tied to what? So, so the the Jeff Calloway ran for the UCP leadership. He's asking for the court to basically stop. He asked for an emergency injunction to stop an investigation he thought that wasn't urgent. So, an emergency injunction to stop a not, not urgent matter. I think part of part of what this is is. I suspect what's going to happen if the UCP forms government uh, in this election, the Office of the Elections Commissioner, I suspect, will be dissolved and this investigation will be stopped. And I think this is just trying to stop the Elections Commissioner from coming up with anything before that can happen. I would only caution you that I don't think there's much appetite to do Jeff Calloway any favors among the UCP brass. Like this this financial thing, the $60,000, the potential, what did we see the headline was two potentially two years jail time yeah. for the CFO of the Calloway campaign. Like, Politically, the opposition wants to make this story about Jason Kenney, but the actual RCMP investigation and the, what they're trying to stop the court from ruling on is about the Callaway campaign. 
So I was glad that it did, was not stopped, and I want them to throw the books at these guys. All right. Thank you, Claire, for your question. Our next one comes from Elaine Shacoin. I'd be interested to hear a discussion on the levels of trust different groups have in the parties. So how much do small C conservatives, I guess, trust the NDP? How much do lefties trust the UCP? This is kind of boring if they're the same, but I find it hard to believe that they are. They are the same. They don't trust each other at all. Yeah. It, this is one of the most polarizing elections we've seen. And our politics are now polarized. Yeah. Like I think you will see a consistent NDP base of around 30 to 40% and a consistent conservative base of 40 to 50% or whatever the numbers are. Yeah. And Dave and I and you, Adam, we're some of the few people who seem to be able to even get along with people of the other persuasion. Like it is highly, highly polarized. I have had New, New Democrat supporters DM me asking like in all seriousness how I can be a conservative, like how I sleep at night. And I have lots of conservative friends who honestly cannot see a single validity to a left of center voter. Oh, I, and, I, I, I get DMs too. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, very, very similar, very similar takes. I think it's one of the most sort of ab abhorrent things that's happened to our politics where we have gotten to the point where you cannot allow that there's a val valid point on the other side. Like I, I know that reasonable people can be social Democrats. Like that's, I may not be, but I don't dispute their existence, but we've gotten to the point where both sides Truly, I mean, just watch Twitter. Twitter is a cesspool, and it's not indicative of real people, but um, people really cannot accept that the other side is anything less than evil. And yeah, so I to answer Elaine's question, I would guess there is zero trust in the other side. I, I, I think I'm going to come at this from t two points. I think that, I mean, yes, I think our politics are quite polarized in an unhealthy way. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with social media. A lot of that has to do with with focus on or the kind of uh, osmosis from paying so much attention to the the total dumpster fire of politics in the United States. And I think that that's part of the issue is that we're kind of reflecting that as well. But I think on uh, we're also in Alberta not yet totally accustomed to competitive elections. And I think that's that's part of it. You know, we're used yeah. to, you know, we had 44 years of progressive conservative government. We had maybe a handful of elections in that 44 years that would be considered competitive. I think well, you know 1993 between the liberals and, and, and the progressive conservatives. And yeah. then it was 2012 and then 2015. What's the saw. PC coalition? Yeah. It was competitive inside the PC coalition. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that existed with Ralph the and Nancy and all these, it was a knockdown drag. Yeah. Whatever the expression is. Knockdown drag out. I think. Yeah. Knockout drag, drag them. But yeah. the, the general elections were sort of a foregone conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're we're in this situation now where we actually have, you know, one party with forty some percent of the vote and the other party with fifty just under fifty percent of the vote. That's 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 a, that's something new, and I think that that's also part of it. So we have this like polarized politics element, which is which is which is new and not healthy. But we also are not accustomed to competitive elections, and I think mm -hmm. that's I think the parties are also trying to figure that out too because. New Democrats aren't used to being competitive in Alberta and conservatives aren't used to having competition. So that's also part of the issue. Yeah. So I think it's, I think those are, those are two of the main things. Uh, Elaine had a follow-up question. Uh, do boring leaders debates contribute to voter apathy on election day? It's an interesting question. What do you think, Ryan? So the easy answer is yes, but the problem is how do you define boring? Like I have heard from people who say they want more drama. They want more Stephen Mandel saying, oh. what have you been smoking? They, they like that. But then I also hear from people all the time say, well, where's the policy? Where's the substance? So 
a really substantive policy discussion that was would be pretty boring to some as a television show. And yet a total just Mandel, let's talk about like bow tie. Like his press conference after he was talking about that he didn't wear a bow tie. You know, like he's not a serious candidate for premier. He's there to be color. And so we nerds would love more of that, more zingers and one-liners. But a lot of people want more policies. So Elaine's got a point. When it's boring and nothing happens, it contributes to apathy for sure. But I don't think there's a solution that's easy. Yeah, and I'm not sure the leaders debate itself is something that, I mean, unless we have a debate that, that really helps give one of the parties momentum. Like topical. Maybe you could have topical, yeah. topical debates. Yeah, but, I don't, but I don't, I'm not sure that, that the debate itself is something that contributes to apathy. I, I mean, I'd have to see, maybe there's research on this kind of thing, yeah. but I'm, I'm not sure the debate itself. Yeah, it would be really interesting to see research on that because my suspicion is that uh, people, well, you, you keep touching the same nerve for people and the, you exhaust that nerve and that creates yeah. apathy. They're just like, right. the messaging, the the vitriol is so overwhelming that folks tune out and they don't want to participate. I suspect that, or at least that's my theory of yeah. what happens. I don't think, I think by the time the debate happens, these folks aren't watching those debates. Well, unless something dramatic happens. Dramatic happens. Yeah, and then they'll go and watch the tape. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our next question. Uh, thank you for that, Elaine, by the way. Uh, Zoe Addington asks, where does the Alberta party go if they win no seats? And I guess, you know, same question for the Liberal Party. What happens to those two parties if no seats are won? I, I think they still continue to exist and, you know, be minor players in Alberta politics. I mean, even more minor if they don't actually have any seats. But I don't expect the the Liberal Party to go away because there's the it it will exist in some form, whether it's you know whether it's sitting at one percent or sitting at four percent. And the Alberta Party, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, the Alberta Party has reinvented itself about you know fifteen times since it was cr- originally created as a separatist party back in the nineteen eighties. Uh, so <laughs> it's got a great name. It's got a great yeah. name, yeah. But but uh, but it never seems to get any traction. So we'll see going. I mean, we'll see what happens in this election. But uh, I guess the question is where do where do the progressive conservatives that that kind of the refugee progressive conservatives who left the pc party after jason kenney won the leadership in 2017 and moved to the alberta party i'm talking about stephen mandel Catherine mm-hmm. o'neill dave quest um sue, sue timmonson like the that group Neil Korotash, yeah where i'm from i where, mean where, where do they go if if the alberta party lose doesn't win a seat in this election i don't know i mean right did they don't like jason kenney that's pretty clear and so, that this is my problem with them and this is why i tend to pick on them that seems to be the only reason why they went over to the Alberta party. Like you can't run a party on, no, there was already enough parties that exist to oppose Jason Kenney. There wasn't a niche here. They, they're redundant in the sense of policy. Like the, sure they differentiated from the liberals a little bit, but not fundamentally. And so I really think that those types of folks are now going to have a hard call because I know a lot of them too. And good people who might be considered red Tories. And I would hope and I stick my nose out and get punched all the time on this, that they would come back to the big tent UCP. And it's not like this current leader will be there forever. You know, the party will go on. But it's an interesting question. The Alberta party, even since I've been super involved in Alberta politics, has changed several times. Remember mm-hmm. the big listen leading yeah, up to... I was involved in, in the kind of the, that... Uh yeah. Renew Alberta. Yeah, I remember going to a yeah. Renew Alberta conference yeah. at K Country. And I, then I at the sp- end of that conference, yeah. sticking around to watch Canada play the United States yeah. in a gold medal Olympic hockey game. Cool. It was wicked. So 2010. Yeah. 
2010. I gave a close the closing speech at the Alberta Party you did? convention in. I didn't know that. Was it 2010? I think. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think or, the Alberta Party existed in 2010 yet. It was part. Well, no, it was. It, it was came out of the renewal. 2010, Alberta 2011. It was before the 2012 election. Yeah. And I, I know uh, you gave a big draft. Yeah, Dave I gave Corey. a I gave a speech at their. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I wasn't going to run for anything. Uh, but yeah, it was the policy convention. I think it was in Canmore or Red Deer or one of anyway one of the places where political conventions are held. I'll see if I can find some notes and we'll. Uh, the Sheraton and Red Deer, probably. Yeah. It might have been that, yeah. Are we talking about our compass poll result? Oh, yeah. We, uh... Do we want to do that? We'll do that at the end of the mailbag. So we've got a few more, uh, quite a few more questions. And, of course, it wouldn't be the Dave Berta podcast without a question from Mountain Ted. Uh, Mountain Ted asks, have you heard any important, heard about any important or surprising endorsements for one of the parties or candidates yet? Uh, let's start with you, Ryan. Any, any endorsements that kind of caught your ear? No, my sense is this question might have been a response to the picture of Ed Stelmack with his local MLA, <laughs> Jessica Littlewood, right? Um, which the Stelmack people were quick to point out was taken at a fundraiser. Was it the Knights of Columbus? It was a Native, Native Knights of Columbus uh, yeah. fundraiser. So yeah. Mr. Stelmack was too polite to say, get lost. <laughs> well, during I, don't, a lead, I don't know. I don't know. During a campaign, he probably should have known how that would be used. But <laughs> no, I mean, when I think of endorsements, the only thing I think of that is not surprising is how many former PCMLAs are opposing Jason Kenney and coming out and trying to win. Dave Quest is a perfect example. But yeah. no, I mean, endorsements are a thing that candidates like because it's lonely to be a candidate, but I don't really think <laughs> they make much difference. No. What do you, what, have you seen anything, uh, Dave? Uh, well, I mean, the, the, the Stelmack photo with Jessica Littlewood I thought was notable. I thought that was notable. I mean, I don't. I have no idea who Mr. Stelmack is voting for. He's retired from politics, and he looks like he's having a pretty good time. Yeah, he looked great, he looked great actually. Yeah, just like chill. He had like a Budweiser or something he was drinking. Like he just like yeah, he's like cool. everyone's favorite great uncle. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure like people in his riding love him. Yeah. Like, and he just I'm sure he just goes to events and he's just like local celebrity yeah. former premier just chilling out. I think that's great. Um, I mean, I do think it's notable that in this, I mean, we talked about like the polarized political climate. I mean, it is notable that like a former conservative premier would be totally cool with take posing for a photo with an NDP MLA running for re-election in rural Alberta. Maybe we should track them down. Well, this isn't the first time they've had photos taken together. Cause if you follow Jessica Littlewood's uh, uh, social media feeds, I mean, she takes, she gets a lot of selfies with people and a lot of, photos with people at events mm-hmm. and like over the past four years i think she's had quite a few photos with that stomach <laughs> and they go to different events and i don't know i mean yeah. he seems to be happy to post he, a photo with for, for a photo with her they talk about notley a lot i've never heard rachel notley talk about ed stomach yeah. not in a positive way yeah well notley ran for I'm sorry they talk about lawheed did i say that right oh, lawheed yeah 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 uh yeah lawheed notley talks about lawheed and kenny talks about klein uh, but yeah, I think that uh, no no one really talks about Ed Stelmack, but I think history, I've, I've written a post about this before. Like I think I said like 10 reasons why history will be kind to Ed Stelmack. Mm-hmm. I think he got a bad rap. I think that like yeah. the politics really did him in, but I think history will actually be pretty kind to him. I think he was actually yeah. a pretty decent premier. I've and- never heard... I've never heard anyone have a negative interaction with him, which is pretty rare in politics, like even behind the scenes. The only negative stuff would be just how sort of shy he could be in public settings. But it's not negative. His lawyer did try did threaten to sue me. That's true. That was part of it. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't hold any ill will against Mr. Stomach. Mr. Stomach knew about. No, I don't think so either. Okay. Uh, All right. Let's move on to our next question. This comes from uh, uncomfortable silence. Io on Twitter. I love Twitter names. If you guys could have asked one question in the leaders' debate, what would it have been? What do you think was missing from the conversation, notwithstanding that it was a terrible format for a debate? I, I think any substantial questions about climate change. 
Yeah. I think there was talk about the carbon tax, but I don't think there was any real, real meaningful discussion or question about climate change. And I think that's something that's like a, a I don't want to call it, yeah, clear and present danger facing Alberta. And, uh, and I don't think that any of the leaders were, uh, were really challenged to talk about that. What for, about you, Ryan? For me, they weren't asked the big question, and I'm trying not to refer to West Wing too often, but there's a reason why West Wing talked about it, which is why do you want to be premier? You know, yeah. back to what I've said before, Miss hmm. Notley was prepared to speak about why Jason Kenney shouldn't be premier, and Mandel was there to do whatever he did, but none of them actually looked at the camera and said to the voter, this is why I want to be your premier, because the question wasn't asked. Those are great answers, guys. Uh, this next one comes from Rates Runs on Twitter. Will advance polls allowing people to vote anywhere impact the results? I think this one will be very interesting. I don't think it'll have a major impact like province, like a major impact in terms of of shifting the the balance of power of who's going to form government. What I do think will be interesting, and 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 what this what this listener is referring to, thanks so much for the question, uh, is that now Elections Alberta allows you to vote. You don't have to vote at the advanced polling station in your own riding. If you're if you live in Edmonton Highlands Norwood, but you're in Calgary on one of the advanced voting days, you can go to your local voting station in like Calgary Buffalo or Calgary, you know, Calgary Curry and cast your advanced ballot there for Edmonton Highlands Norwood. So what what I think this will be interesting will where this could play a role is that it might delay the vote count in yeah. terms of of because those votes will have to be counted on election day and then like telegraphed back not literally telegraphed i don't know if there's if, i think they'll, they'll count the ballots i'm not actually sure how this will work if like the i think they do it later yeah so then they'll count so if there's a really close race in one riding uh it might not be until like the next day until all the advanced ballots are counted across the province or like late that night that we'll know like the full results wasn't there a story saying we should expect some delays this time yeah there was elections alberta had said that that there might be some delays so that's interesting and i mean hmm. i'm you know as i i'm i'm an advocate of making it easy for people to vote and if that means if we make it easier and more accessible for people to vote at the polls uh if that means that we don't get the results right away that's fine as long as all the ballots are counted so there could be potential if there's close races that that you know maybe that'll contribute to uh, to when we figure out who's won what do you think ryan so largely i don't think it will impact a lot i think it's a very small number one interesting little wrinkle, and maybe I'm thinking wrong about this. I actually think it could hurt the NDP in a couple of the university ridings. Mm. So vars- Varsity or whatever it's called now in Calgary. Yeah, Calgary Varsity. And then Edmonton Strathcona or Riverview, those types. Because historically, and I know this for a fact, the NDP in university polls would really get out the vote hard for people to vote there. Mm-hmm. So rural kids from Mournville wouldn't vote in the Mournville riding. They'd vote at Edmonton Strathcona. So do they get, yeah, but, to, but, do they get to choose, like... Like if they're living on campus here, or they're living in Edmonton, but they're from another place and they haven't changed like their driver's license. I think some of I, them would keep their yeah. residence. I think you can choose whether, you, I, I believe you can choose whether you vote in. In that riding in or, that riding or, or, or home riding. Or at the home yeah, riding, sure. I think. If you're living in residence, I think that's the case. If you're using, living in residence, you can use that to vote in Edmonton Strathcona. Yeah, but I remember like when I was working with the liberal, working for the liberals in the mid 2000s, like there was one election where Kevin Taft in Edmonton Riverview you know, dominated every single poll, like crushed. He won like, you know, 60 some percent of the vote in Riverview, but he lost the Lister Hall poll that the <laughs> Tories. Yeah. So it was like the, I think it was like the one or two polls that the Tories won in Edmonton Riverview was like the rural kids in Lister Hall. So that doesn't I remember it the other way around, but maybe that's just <laughs> trauma. Has affected well, I mean, that's memory. the fed you were, you ran federally, right? Yeah, so maybe, maybe yeah. that was, maybe that was different. 
All right, our next question comes from Kerr P on Twitter, and they ask, can we hold Jason Kenney and Rachel Notley accountable for the polarization and anger that they're feeding? Can things improve? What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. Get involved. I can point you to wherever you live, in whichever party you support, or even if you haven't chosen a party, I could point you to the constituency association. You know, just this is this is the thing about politics. It's up to you to get involved. And if you're angry about the process or the policies or the government, get involved. I mean, the question is a little bit um, abstract. And so to make it real, they absolutely can improve, whatever improve means to you, and it's up to you. Yeah, great. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, get involved. If you don't like the way politics are, um, get involved and change it. Yeah, that's 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 the only way this is going to change. Otherwise, the people who are who are involved and right now and and responsible for making politics the way they are it is now, uh, they're just going to continue because yeah. they're going to see that if you just reward them, people just, who show up. Yeah, yeah. it's like so, the same in my at, at work. Yeah, that, that's another West Wing quote. Actually, uh, decisions are made by those who show it's up. It's totally true. Yeah. So I think about at work. I'm in a union, and the participation rates in the sort of like things they vote on is so low. Mm -hmm. So for those people who show up, they have a huge influence or in municipal politics where turnout is so low, there's a huge influence. So you got to show up and sometimes groups get maligned a little bit for organizing. So, you know, whether it's an ethnic thing where they, you know, will use their channels to get people to turn out or whatever, but I say good for them. Like if you can mobilize people basically almost in any way, it's a good thing. Yeah. All right. Our next question comes from Mark. Uh, so a bit of a preamble here. Mark attended an all-candidates forum in Turner Valley, which featured candidates from all the major parties except the UCP. So UCP didn't show up. He's saying uh, if he combines that, he's heard about it happening also in other locations across the province. And so if he combines that with the UCP's promise to make sweeping changes as quickly as possible to avoid opposition, he's feeling like the UCP is trying to dodge public scrutiny. And he asks, has this level of community avoidance been practiced before in Alberta politics and we'll start with you Dave what do you think have you seen this before yeah I mean it's not uncommon for uh for it's not uncommon generally for incumbents not to show up or front runners not to show up at at all candidates forums I I have mixed feelings about this because first of all I think that if you are running in an election you should at least once during the campaign have you know have the courage to actually stand in front of a group of people a group of voters with the other candidates and defend your positions and 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 interact with your opponents i understand that in some ridings like if the election is 28 days long if there are like nine all candidates forums in a 28 day election it's hard like i don't it, it eats up a lot of time it eats a lot of time it's probably not the best use of, of a candidate's time uh but to not go to any i think is just like cowardice um yeah, like you, I think you should at least have to go to one. And and one of the I've had a, I've had a number of people down in Lethbridge email me uh, with comments about the UCP candidate running in Calgary or in Lethbridge West against Shannon Phillips, and it's Carrie Flatla who's running. And I guess she's like there's been like three or four debates in Lethbridge West, and she skipped all of them. Hmm. Uh, and I find this like this is pretty gross because the UCP has spent the past two years like campaigning against the carbon tax campaigning against the climate leadership plan and their candidate who's running against the environment minister can't even bother to show up at a all candidates forum to to like challenge and debate the environment minister shannon phillips Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that's just cowardice what do you think ryan i mean this is a bit of a, a a jab at the ucp 
Yeah, I, I will also point out it's not only the UCP and Edmonton Riverview when Kara Barker pulled out, and who is not considered a front runner by any means, the NDP incumbent pulled out too. So I'll put two different hats on. One, from the party's perspective, it's limited upside potential, virtually none, and huge liability. Every single human being on earth now is holding a video camera. Yeah. You saw that candidate for the NDP in Jerome Heller make some sort of comment. And it's not like she really had any chance of ever becoming the MLA, but then she talks about how we need to move past oil-based jobs. She, she was clumsily talking about diversification. Yeah. So the downside is huge. The upside is limited. Now, if I put my other hat on, as a candidate, from the candidate's perspective, watching the West Wing, dreaming about <laughs> running for office, and running for office are very different. There's not a lot of moments where you get to do that kind of thing, where you get to debate and talk about ideas. It's mostly a freaking grind. Like, my friend Nicole Williams has door knocked 10 hours a day, every day, for like six months. Like, there's not a lot of what we all dream of moments. And so debates can be that, right? Like, they, like, they don't, they, some of them like attending it just because it's finally a chance to use those, those muscles. And you feel like you listen to that Eminem song about, the one moment and you know <laughs> lose yourself this is it and you know you don't that's not really part of running yeah. there's rarely yeah. moments where you win or lose in a moment so i can see why some candidates like doing them i personally think you should leave it to the local candidate to decide um and i share some frustration sometimes when people don't but if you're the party and you're thinking about 87 ridings no one who, I mean, this is cliche, but no one who shows up in Turner Valley at the debate is really open to changing their vote. Very few. But if a candidate says something bad, actually in the old Didsbury riding where Nathan Cooper is running, he, there's a two-hour video on Facebook of their local debate, and the Freedom Conservative candidate said things that are appalling. Really? No one cares. He's the Freedom Conservative. He said, well, something like, well, how do kids know if they're gay? Did a man in the park tell them? Like, just... Jesus Christ. Nathan actually didn't even clap for the guy. I give him a lot of credit. Like, it was horrible stuff. Wow. But no one cares because it's the Freedom Conservative Party. But, like, in that room, no one's vote was changing. Mm -hmm. And if it was a front runner who said that kind of stuff, or even someone with a serious chance of winning, it would have been magnified. And I guess you could say, well, good. It should be magnified. So the party says, don't go. The local candidates want to go, and you've seen a variety of resolutions to that. Yeah. All right. Thanks, you for that question, Mark. We're moving on to a question uh, from Steve. Uh, how would you or would you show your support for a political party actively detested <laughs> by most people in your riding, knowing that it would likely ostracize you or make you a target in your neighborhood? This is a really interesting question. What do you think, Ryan? So, again, I'm sure some people will roll their eyes. In the 2011 campaign, in the heart of... Um, this is the federal campaign. Yes, yeah, sorry. In the heart of McKernan, I actually had um, someone who took one of my large signs, and then it got vandalized. And I, I'm the last person to suggest that it's parties who do it. I know parties don't do it. And we phoned... He, the, the, the man of the couple phoned and said, you know, you got to get rid of this sign because my wife is terrified. There was people oh, on her lawn. And I'm not suggesting it's partisans. That's why this issue makes me so mad. The when sign, they, the sign vandalism. Yeah, I know. So it can be very hard to have a blue sign in orange country or an orange sign in blue country. And so this is part of where polarization takes us, where the other side isn't even seen as valid. I, I, I have neighbors. Actually, our kids play road hockey all the time. We're good friends. Um, they're NDP supporters. We have a blue sign. It's kind of a running joke. 
no one gets upset. Like, I just wish people would be more civil. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Dave? Have you seen, I mean, this is a Janice Irwin stronghold, yeah. an NDP stronghold. Yeah. Uh, driving here this morning, I did see a few yep. UCP signs on yep. people's lawns. Yep. Yep. Are, are you offended by that and going out and vandalizing no, them? No, I'm not sneaking out at night and vandalizing my neighbor's signs. <laughs> yeah, just to, just to know, to just give an idea of where we are, my poll, I live in Edmonton Highlands, Norwood, and we're recording this right now, and this poll that we're sitting in, in the last election, went like 85% NDP. <laughs> and this right, this area has been NDP basically since the 1980s. So this is like, you know, if Edmonton Strathcona is like, it's this and Edmonton Strathcona are the heartland. Mm-hmm. Um, well, when they had so, two so, seats, it was these yeah, two seats. Yeah, exactly. So so there are a lot of orange lawn signs in my neighborhood, like a lot. And J- Janice Irwin is just cleaning up. But we do have a few, there's a, there's a house or one, one or two houses down the street from me that have uh, blue Leela Hool signs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's fine. Um, I think they may have been the same houses that had Carrie Diot signs on in the last election. So they're conservatives. That's fine. I'm not offended by it. Um, but do you, I, do you see those people perhaps getting ostracized by members of, of your community? I mean, I know I know we're talking sort of you wouldn't have this knowledge necessarily, but is, I, I don't get is, the impression. I don't, I don't I don't I haven't seen anybody's house get egged over it. But I mean, I've seen stuff on social media where people's signs have been have been vandalized or, uh, or people's houses have been egged or or people's cars have had you know awful profanity scratched into the side of them like so that does exist out there i, I mean i don't get the impression that it, that it is widespread i mean i the challenge I, I i say that being like i don't think i don't get the impression that these neighbors who live down the street from me who have ucp signs in an, in an ndp stronghold are getting ostracized by their neighbors well but, that's good but, but like i don't know yeah um i think like having grown up in small town alberta uh i think it would be very like in some small towns to put an in, you know, it might be, might feel brave. You might have to be pretty brave to put an NDP sign up on your front lawn in some of these like real rural strongholds where mm-hmm. people are, are, you know, very strongly leaning in one direction though. But then again, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, the, you know what? I think this, the sign conversation is something we should maybe talk about after the election. Yeah. And just like, what does it mean? Does it represent anything that actually affects, I don't know, does it compel other people to vote? I don't know. I think it'd be worth talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, we should talk about it. I mean, I think I've heard someone was mentioning there's research about if, you know, the putting signs out on your lawn actually encourages voter turnout, which uh, I which I think is good because I mean, I it shows so. your neighbors are engaged and we've yeah, we've talked about it before a few times on our various shows. His next question though tells me a little bit about where he's coming from. Yeah, so he Steve asked a second question and it is what is the best way to vote strategically in the riding of Chestermere Strathmore if you're an NDP supporter? He he wonders if if he should try and help Derek Filderbrandt take a seat away from the UCP and and in brackets he goes ugh or should you just vote your conscience? So Ryan, what do you think? Should should he vote strategically? In- so I'll answer in that specific riding and generally. Okay. It's actually the same answer. (laughs) Generally, just vote your conscience. Yeah. Like, I don't... Strategic voting and getting all concerned about that is really not doing democracy. The people who died on the battlefields in Vimy Bridge and all that stuff, their justice. You know, just vote. Now, in particular to that seat, I feel very strongly. Leela Ahur is a wonderful human being and a wonderful MLA, and she'll play a big role probably in the next government. Dare Fildebrandt, who I've, you know, shared drinks with and know pretty well, is running on a fundamentally negative um, reason. He's running there specifically to beat, sorry, he's not running in good faith. He had, um, you know, he's playing to people's worst fears. He's bringing up her race and gender. 
Um, really? Yeah. I So I would not vote for Derek. I don't think Derek is... Um, and even just the fact that he's only running, what is it, 24 seats? Yeah, tw- the, you, yeah the Freedom Conservative Party is only running 24 candidates. Bad um, faith campaign. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Steve, uh, if you're an NDP supporter, I'd, you know, vote NDP. Yeah. I'd... I'd Vote your conscience. Vote for vote for 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 the candidate and the party that you support. Go for, just go for it. And Leela, Steve, if you go down and introduce yourself to her and tell her you're voting NDP, she'll probably still give you a hug and tell you thank you for voting. She's the most wonderful person, and I don't just say that. She actually is. It. She's a, a touchy, huggy, loving type. Okay, so Derek Foster is our next question with a lengthy preamble, thinking you know there, maybe there's a major political shift happening in Alberta, and he can't pinpoint why. So his question is. Is this election just a return to Alberta of Alberta to its default conservative position with little relevance given to the actual players and policies of the parties? Is Alberta a conservative, uh, you know, a conservative province? Well, we've talked about this kind of in this episode already. Like, I think in a way, yes, and in a way, no. I think we are returning to a pretty standard model where there's an opposition party in the 30, 35% range, and there's a conservative party in the 50% range. But... It is also different because I think you won't see the days of 75 seats, 72 seats anymore. Like, I think the NDP is now pretty well established and they will have a sizable caucus moving forward. I, I think the mold is broken. Uh, yeah. And I think that, I mean, Albertans have gotten a taste of what it's like to turf a government. And I, I think that, uh, I don't think we're going to see another reign of 44 years of of conservative government in this province, un, under uninterrupted conservative government. I think that, you know, we could see a situation that, that uh, you know, I'm saying this if the UCP forms government, but if the UCP if the UCP does form government on April 16th, um, I'm you know it's not out of the realm of possibility that the NDP could win in four years or eight years or twelve years later. And like, that would, as you said earlier, Ryan, be a very yeah. healthy thing for our democracy. Knowing that you could lose makes you much sharper. Yeah, and I also I'll just add, you know, I don't think this is the question that voters are considering as they go to the ballot. And we're going to talk about this in a moment because there's a question about this. Isn't about conservative versus versus progressive. It's anxiety about the economy. It's anxiety about Alberta's future yeah. as a as a have province as opposed to a have not province. So I think that's actually driving the conversation more than anything else. Which brings us to a question from David Vonish, who asks: Is it possible for LGBTQ rights or a leader's moral compass? to be the ballot question in Alberta. What do you think, Ryan? So I'll humor David by accepting the premise and ignoring, I won't dispute the leader's moral compass thing, but this is precisely what Rachel Notley is trying to do. She's trying to shape that ballot question. From her first speech on election writ drop day, and we said it on the podcast, the ballot question as each party defined it was known, and hers was explicitly about Jason Kenney being unfit for office. Like she... That is it. You've summarized her exact ballot box, ballot box question. And Jason Kenney, on the other hand, is making it about economy, jobs, and pipelines. So, David, uh, whether it's possible or not, that you're about to find out. Yeah, I think. I mean, I, I, I think we're about to find out. I think it will be a ballot question for a lot of Albertans. I don't think it'll be like the the one defining ballot question. I think when we talk about these different narratives, I think that we have a polarized electorate at the moment or you know a, a solidified electorate at least appears and i think for a lot of ndp supporters uh and maybe to a smaller degree alberta party supporters this this type of thing um uh lgbtq rights um character uh 
um, leadership is is going to be a is going to be a big question. So like for half of the electorate, that's probably going to be a big question. For for you know the UCP is focused a lot on we've heard again jobs, the economy, pipelines. Those are three big issues um, that a lot of Albertans care about, and the UCP has really effectively capitalized on that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean I think it will be a ballot question for a, a lot of Albertans well, on April sixteenth. There's also a, a relative importance of the two issues, right? You can have concerns about yeah. the moral compass and LGBTQ yeah. issues and still decide to vote because of the economy. Yeah. And you can go the other way too. You can have concerns about yeah. the economy, but still vote on that. Yeah. So, and I think, I think when you say ballot question, it's like the primary driver. Yes. Like the people, voters are complex. People are, are, you know, people can care about one issue and another issue at the same time. And it's trying to balance that and, and figure out yeah. in terms of your priorities, which party leader, which party, uh, which candidate is the best person to, uh, to, uh, to deal with those issues. And it's likely that, that it, particularly in this election, that some voters will go to the polls not knowing what's more important to them. But when they have the pencil in their hand and the ballot in front of them, that's when they're going to make a decision yeah. about what's most important to them. And so it's going to be like, I mean, I know, I know how everyone's polling, but it's going to be a really interesting day on April 16th. Well, and I mean, polls yeah. are, remember, they're, they're lagging are, indicators. Polls are snapshots of people's opinions at a certain period of time that's already passed. Um, but we've also talked about trends. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's trends, no absolutely. Question. But if you plot the trend this time, yeah, but it hasn't changed. No one's voted yet. Yep. And, well, some and, people have. Well, some people have, but the vast majority of people haven't, haven't been voted counted yet. yet. And, and as we found out in the 2012 election, or as Danielle Smith and the Wild Rose Party find out, found out, and I guess Alison Redford and the rest of us did. People change their minds. Yeah, no, so, it's true. So I, you know, it's, and that's why I'm the electorate loathe. is is a certain percentage of the electorate can be quite quite volatile in Alberta. Yeah, and that's why I'm loath to, to talk about how the lead is sticking and it's not changing. And if I wasn't on a podcast, you'd never hear me talk about it. But um, <laughs> hear it here now. We'll see. And yeah. All right. Well, before we end the podcast, we did want to have a just a brief discussion because I think we've all done the vote compass thing, CBC's vote compass, which, you know, I'm just I'm looking at I'm this embarrassed website. for all three of us. Let's vote, be honest. Vote compass. I'm, I'm quite proud of my results. Vote. I am actually, too. <laughs> I'm embarrassed for you, too, and more so for me. <laughs> I don't think I've seen Adam's result. yet. It was just so. like yours. I thought I sent it to you guys. Yeah, you did. Okay. Anyway. OK, so okay. vote compass dot CBC dot CA two hundred and twenty one thousand seven hundred and sixty five. Responses have been logged so far. Wow. Uh, oh, and it just went up. Uh, I, sh- I should note, I've done it four times because I didn't screenshot the first two times. And I then I had twice. to redo it again because they added the green party and I wanted to get the screenshot with the green party. So, I, so sh- I've done it four times. I'm so. sure I have it in my photos somewhere on my phone, so I'll find it. But what were your guys' results? And and were you surprised by them? Uh, let's start with Dave. I, Com- I, comrade I, Corner. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not too surprised about my result. I am in the upper upper left hand corner uh in the 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 most upper left hand uh uh box in the uh (laughs) you're so left you made me blush dave (laughs) on both quadrants well to the left of the ndp and all the other well i mean yeah but like this is the context this is this this is in the context of like the political landscape in alberta where the political parties are so political parties in alberta the ndp even the ndp are not like socialist leftist parties these mm-hmm. are these are the ndp is a center left-ish party social democrat liberal type party so this is not you know we're not like especially in the last four years yeah especially in the last Wait four till years so, Shannon so, Phillips takes over though so, so you, you got to keep that in context so i think for a lot of people uh i think i don't think it would be hard to position yourself where i am oh i disagree dave and we're gonna post the graphics i will i will can 
I will agree that there's obviously some flaws with this. This is like, yeah. it's like doing one of those, I don't know. I, I, I think I ended up there because I want to raise corporate taxes, raise, tax raise, raise personal taxes. And then, and then, you know what I was annoyed with is there, there was a the question about one of the questions was, um, how much do you think uh, students should have to pay for tuition? And I wanted to say nothing, but, but much less was the only option. So I should have, you know, and the, to, to be fair to them, they're showing why, like they're showing their their work behind the scenes. They show where the parties are on each question. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So sometimes if you dispute one, you can see that it's because this is what the parties have told them, even if it doesn't align with your assumption. Yeah, right. Do you guys remember where mine was? Uh, well, I just pulled yours up actually. So Ryan is almost smack dab in the middle. Dead of, center. Yeah. Red Ryan in the you, middle. You are Cent- centrist Ryan twice. Well, here, here's the thing. So Ryan is is left far far away from the uh, Freedom Conservative Party. You are, I'm going to say, a little bit more than slightly left of the UCP, <laughs> and slightly, very slightly, left of the Alberta Party. And and you, I just imagine the hand wringing that went. To the, well, that I, took I place. was mocked. <laughs> I have several text groups where I was mocked severely for this. Really? Uh, in good in good humor. So I one of the glimpses behind the veil on this is that I actually answered most questions as being about the same. Like, should we do this, should we do that? About where we are was my most like I actually am not very radical and I sometimes I would say we should do a little bit more or a little bit less, but most of my questions would hover around that center line. Mm-hmm. So does that make me actually conservative because I think society's actually doing pretty well? You know, it's 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 kind of a meaningless experiment, but uh, <laughs> I figured you were going to say that. <laughs> I, I do. I, I should probably redo it and try to have a little bit more conservatism. But well, I we have the screenshot now, so it's, <laughs> yeah. it's set in stone. <laughs> we're gonna we'll, we'll tweet a tweet a screenshot it's, of it. You know, the esoteric question is a moderate someone who wants to keep things the way they basically are, or is that a conservative? You know, like what the words begin to break down a bit because. I guess it depends on where you think society is right now. You know, like on tuition, I said they pay about enough. Like students in Canada pay a fraction of the total cost. It's not, they're not paying for their the cost of tuition. I remember, and maybe this was just as we were coming out of university, but some research was done where they asked students, and, and actually this, this tracks with some research that's done in the United States. Most people don't think uh, university should be free. But the reason they don't think it should be free is because if it's free, it's valueless. Totally. They want that degree to mean something. And I guess part of the hard work of going through school is also the hard work of paying for school. It's hurting, At least in this research. It's hurting yeah. our law school and our MBA program, for example, My, that tuition is so low. Because perceived value for those two degrees has a lot to do with what it costs. It's my, weird. My, my, my argument in favor of uh, free tuition or lowering the, the cost of tuition is that tuition costs are the most most are the most important expense or the most meaningful expense that universities and governments have control over and that that's that's my argument is that that lowering lowering tuition also also means that that uh uh i mean sorry lowering tuition doesn't necessarily make university free people still have to pay for for books you still have to pay for your your cost your accommodations your your living expenses um but tuition itself is is the one main cost that universities can control yeah okay well, well we're gonna move on from this question uh I, I i don't see i thought i shared a screenshot with you guys i was pretty sure you did I, it might be I on saw yours okay. okay so i was around the same place as dave though i think i was a slightly more 
socially progressive on the vote compass scale than Dave was? I think your summary was tax everything. Yeah, I, I believe that we should be taxing the shit out of everyone equally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Uh, it, I'm surrounded. I was, Not only am I in Edmonton's Highwood, Highlands, Norwood, but I'm surrounded at the table. I think it might also be that I was grumpy when I did it. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder, it'd be interesting, how much does your, your mood, based on what you've just read or watched, affect the way you answer these questions? Yeah. Anyway, it's a really well, interesting experiment. We will post our results and people can mock or appreciate. I like to think some of my haters will be surprised. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I don't know what I think people think I am. but What did uh, what did Leanne say about your... Oh, she knows. <laughs> <laughs> she knows who she married. Yeah, exactly. This isn't the first time we've done a version of that yeah. compass. Hers is different than mine. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks again to our producer, Adam Rosenhart, for helping us put the show together. And a huge thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, for supporting the show. Send us your feedback or ask us any questions you have for our next episode. You can get us on Twitter at, at @dayberta, on Instagram at, at @dayberta. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks to all our Instagram followers and people and, re- and listeners who sent us questions through Instagram. We're going we're gonna to have some fun with that going in, in the next couple the, weeks. I think cool kids call it Insta. Insta? Okay, Insta. Yeah, <laughs> that's what... Okay, uh, you can uh, you can uh, leave us your feedback on the Dayberta Facebook page for boomers and uh, older millennials, conservatives, uh, <laughs> or you can email us email us at podcast at dayberta.ca. And remember to get out and vote. Uh, advanced polls are open April 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, and 13th. And as we said, you can vote no, no matter where you are in the province. You can vote at an advanced the nearest advanced poll to you. Uh, and then, of course, the election day is on April 16th. And on election night, April 16th, uh, I am thrilled to be hosting an election night panel at the Metro Cinema, the Garneau Theater uh, in Edmonton. A good conservative in, poll. In Edmonton, yep. Strathcona. In Edmon- in the, the People's in the, Republic Not only Garneau. in like, the heart of Edmonton, Strathcona. <laughs> uh, and we're going to be showing the uh, the election coverage live on the big theater screen. So And yeah. my friend and yep. conservative moderate That's colleague, right. Natalie Pond. Natalie Pond will friend be joining of the pod. us. Yeah, and she was uh, on the pod. And David Kleimenhaga will be joining us from AlbertaPolitics.ca, who was also Great. on the podcast uh, when Natalie came on. So uh, I'm thrilled we're going to have a little panel discussion before the polls close at uh, 8 o'clock. Um, so come on down. Uh, admission is free. Uh, no way. And it's a lot of fun to watch. Of course, the, it's uh, Garno. Everything should <laughs> yeah, be free. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun to watch uh, election coverage on the big screen. So uh, so come on down. I think there's I think the bar will be open. So I can't be there, but I'll be texting with you a lot, Dave. Okay, so that sounds like fun. I'll try to send you some lines, or I guess maybe I should send them to Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> They'll get read on stage no matter yeah. what. <laughs> just, people will just boo when my name comes up. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yeah.